When I was in high school, I was involved with the theater group, and I was involved with the choir, the music program. And quite often, the choir would have to go over to the band room to practice with the band when we were getting ready for something. And in the band room, it was this big, huge room, probably as big as this sanctuary, but it had a raised floor so that the, the, the conductor, the, the, the band director, was down on the floor floor, and then all the other people sat on basically stair-stepped riser type thing. But it was actually the, the building itself. And on the, the wall behind the conductor, there was a framed piece of prose that it just it struck me funny back then. And it was written as if you were speaking with a German accent. I mean, it literally was written that way. And so when you read it out loud, it, when you're looking at it and you'd read it, you'd go, Wie grow too soon old und too late schmart. <laughs> now it has been almost 50 years since I've been in that room, but to this day I still remember that. Unfortunately, I've reached the point where it's almost too late if I'm not going to get smart because I'm getting old. And so I've been pondering that question this morning as I have been, been reflecting and asking the Lord, what was, what, what is it that you wanted me to say to your people this morning? And the Lord very clearly, when I asked him that question, he said, wisdom. And I was like, wisdom? Wow. Okay. Oh, that's not good. Because <laughs> that requires me to know something. Um, and so I did a little bit of research. And then I was, honestly, I was praying. I was like, Lord, well, what Bible character in, in the Bible can I talk about that deals with wisdom? And I really was racking my brain. I was like, God, what, who, who should I talk about that, that is known for wisdom? Huh? Who? Solomon. Okay, if anybody agrees with Mary, raise your hand. Solomon is the best character for wisdom? Um. <laughs> I'm asking. I agree with Mary. That's exactly who God directed me to, to, to speak about. What is Solomon known for? Wisdom, number one. What else? Wealth. Wealth. Women. women. <laughs> wisdom, wealth, and women. Wow, that's a good sermon. <laughs> what else? What is he known for? He was David's son. He was David's son. He built the temple. He built the temple. Okay. Anything else? He what? He lived in peace. God gave him peace. As and he asked, he could have asked for anything. God told him to ask, and he asked for wisdom before all things. Okay, you're coming into my sermon, so we're not going to go there yet. Anything else that Solomon is known for? The Psalms. Okay. Idolatry. You're getting into my sermon. We're not going there yet. Huh? What'd you say? Proverbs. Okay. Song of Solomon. You know, when we, when we studied the Song of Solomon in Bible college, we were doing a survey of the Old Testament, so we only did a couple of books every night. And then that night that they were doing the Song of Solomon, the professor literally said, is everybody in the room over the age of 18? Okay, good, we can start. Because, yeah, it is. 
Anyway, let me, let me take you on a little quick journey. We don't have time this morning to read every single chapter. I'm going to give you the reference. You can look at it later. Um, but the very first place we're going to look at is in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. If you remember the story, David had an, uh, an illicit affair with Bathsheba. She became pregnant. Uh, Uriah the Hittite was her husband. Uriah dies in battle. David then brings Bathsheba into her home. And then the baby that she bears dies. And then we, after that episode, then it says, verse 24 of chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. He went into her and had relations with her, and she bore a child, and she called this son Sam, Solomon. Which I learned something. I didn't know this until I moved up to Alaska. The, the actual name of Solomon in Hebrew is Shlomo. Shlomo. Shlomo, S-C-H-L-O-M-O, Shlomo. And a friend of mine has a friend whose name is Shlomo, and I met him, and I was like, that's an interesting name. He said, ah, just call me Solomon, it's easier. (laughs) Solomon. So anyway, they named him Shlomo. We call him Solomon. And the Lord loved him. Hear that. And the Lord loved him and sent a message. God himself sent a message through Nathan the prophet, and they named him Jedidiah because of the Lord. Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord. So they called him Shlomo. But God said his name shall be beloved by me. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Can you imagine having that identity? I mean, we are all children of God. We are all beloved of God. But God himself sent a message through a prophet to say, you shall name him. He is my beloved. That's a powerful thing about this young guy. Well, then the story moves on. David gets old. David David is in in his deathbed. And then um, his one of his sons tries to usurp the throne from anybody else, even though David's will is that Solomon is going to reign after him. And so then Nathan the prophet and Bathsheba, they concoct a little scheme. They come into David's bedroom and they say, hey, wait a minute, I thought you said Solomon was supposed to be the king. And your other son's going to try to be the king. And David's like, what? No, that's not the case. And here, let's make this happen. So they, they get Solomon anointed king. And then literally, it's so funny if you read it. Literally, the other guy is there celebrating with all of his buddies, and all of a sudden there's this uproar in the city. What's going on over there? Solomon's sitting on your dad's throne. And everything in the room gets quiet. And literally, all of the little beetles start spurring away because the light went on. (laughs) And the guy's left standing there going, Oh, crud. And then he has to make nice with his brother Solomon because Solomon's actually the king. And... It's a long story. We don't have time this morning to go into it. But anyway, Solomon is now the rightful king of Israel and, 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 and David has died. And Solomon, it says in chapter 3 of 1 Kings. Okay, so we progressed a little bit now in his story. He's a young man. I don't remember exactly. I don't think they told us exactly what age he was. But he was a young man when he became king. And verse... Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with the Pharaoh, 
with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, he took the Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord. Hear that, okay? So we saw in second, uh, in chapter 12 of Second Samuel that Solomon was declared by God himself, he is my beloved. Now it says in chapter 3 of 1 Kings, verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord. Solomon walked in the statutes of David his father, and he only sacrificed and made offerings at the high places, um, except that he, he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places, because for whatever reason in their culture, that's what they started doing, because it was easier than going to where the tabernacle was. And so they became part of the culture. That was one of the things that he did wrong. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifice there. There was a great high place. Solomon used to offer thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask me what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father. Because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And Solomon said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself a long life or riches of the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all of his servants. Interesting, interesting, interesting interaction between God and his beloved. God says, what do you need from me? I'll give you anything. You just tell me what it is you need. And Solomon says, you've put me, a young kid, as the king over this vast nation, so vast that I can't even count them if I wanted to. I haven't a clue what I'm about to do. Please. I need your help. I need to, I need to have the ability, the, the brains to be able to do this. And God said, granted. And because your selfless request was so that you could govern these people, but I'm going to give you everything else I could have, you could have asked for. And so there's this incredible interchange that goes on. And then we move right next into this, into the story which I was interested, intrigued that none of you said anything about when I asked you, what is he most famous for? 
If I were to ask people in the world what was Solomon's famous for, they'd say, cutting a baby in half. But that's the most famous story that proves his wisdom. And that's the very next thing that happens in this passage of Scripture. Is there's the, the episode where the two women have the one baby because the other baby died. And one of them says it's mine. The other one says, no, it's mine. And Solomon says, there's no way to prove it. I tell you what, cut the baby in half and give each woman half. And when the mother of the child said, no, 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 let him live, let him live. And the other one was like, let him die. Solomon then said, she's the mother, give the baby to her. And it says everyone was like amazed. Everyone was amazed. Well, moving on in the story, because again, we just don't have time this morning. Um, Solomon builds his house. I mean, Solomon builds the temple of the Lord. It takes him thir- I mean, it takes him seven years to build the temple of the Lord. And it's fabulous and it's glorious. And then there's this huge national celebration where everyone comes. And it literally says when the, when the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies, the, the, the Shekinah glory of God falls on that place. And it literally says everyone had to stop what they were doing because of the presence of God. That's how powerful this was. And then, then Solomon gets up on this platform and he kneels down before the nation and he spends time with his arms uplifted in prayer out loud, like using a megaphone for the entire nation to hear, praying blessing upon blessing and, and petition upon petition. And then finally he pronounces a benediction and everyone's celebrating and it's a wonderful time. And this is a glorious, glorious time of religious fervor. In chapter 9 of 1 Kings, God appears to Solomon a second time. Okay, so Solomon has been, has had an interface with God right at the beginning of his, of his, of his career as king. And then about seven or so years later, God again comes to him and appears to him. So chapter 9 of 1 Kings, as soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he had appeared to him in Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there all the time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David, your father, walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by will be astonished and will hiss and they will say, why has the Lord done thus and this to the land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, their God, who brought the fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worship them and serve them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. In the first appearance, in the first appearance of God to Solomon, 
God says, ask me anything, I'll give it to you. Oh, and by the way, walk in my ways, just like your father David did. Stay true to me. I'll give you blessing upon blessing. Stay true to me. Well, now, 20 years later, God appears to him a second time. And the the word of God is not, I'll pour out blessing on you. I'll give you anything you want. God literally says to him, stay true to me. If you don't, this is what you and your people and your your nation and your beautiful buildings will be facing. Stay true to me, Solomon, beloved of mine. It's not a, I'm warning you, but it's a, I'm admonishing you. Stay true. Well, what do we see next in this story? Immediately you turn the page and what happens? The Queen of Sheba arrives on the scene. She has heard about Solomon's wealth and his splendor and his wisdom and his governance and she wants to see for herself and she comes with a retinue and lots of things as gifts. And Solomon's like, this is me. This is all me. Look at this. It's me. And she's impressed such that she pours out blessing upon blessing on him. He pours out blessing upon blessing on her. We won't go there. And then they... You get the story. And then she goes home. And then the very next thing the Bible talks about is Solomon's great wealth. Do you know, it literally says Solomon had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, and depending on which translation you read, either 4,000 or 40,000 horses. It literally says that Solomon, because of his great wealth, silver became like dirt. It was so, so lacking in value because Solomon's great wealth in gold so over, over, I mean, overshadowed silver that silver became like just dirt. It was no longer able to be used for trade. Because that's how wealthy Solomon and his government were. God poured out blessing upon blessing upon blessing and made him the greatest of all the kings of the world at that time. And then chapter 11 of Second, uh, First Kings. And it says, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. He literally had 700 wives, 300 concubines, a thousand women. And this is the thing that it says. And his wives turned away his heart. His heart was no longer wholly true to the Lord his God. It literally says, if you read through it, we don't have time this morning, but it literally says he set up a place of worship for Molech. Do you know who Molech was? That was the God that they would offer their living infant children to. 
by throwing the children into fire. And then if you turn the page in verse 9 of chapter 11, it says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. He did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of your father, David, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Solomon is known for his wisdom. Solomon is known, literally, he was one of the greatest botanists and naturalists the world had known to that point. If you, if you, if you look back and study anything about history, the, the seven wonders of the world, Solomon's gardens were part of that. There was also this, this, this thing that, like I said, with, with Sheba coming to see him, the Queen of Sheba coming to see him and just being impressed by everything about him, the splendor. Um, but if you look at his writings, one of the things you didn't mention was that he, he also wrote um, Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is talking about how there's nothing valuable in this world, nothing worth living for. Everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That doesn't sound like a man who's walking in all that, who's got all that stuff and everything's wonderful. And he comes, one of the, one of the crowning things of his life is he wrote a book that said everything is meaningless. This is just so incongruous to me. And I was trying to answer the question, what is the difference between being wise and being smart? He was definitely smart. And he definitely was wise. But what was the difference? And I found it's very hard to find anything about that question in the Christian world. But I did find in a psychology paper online... These six statements, I don't have time to, to read the whole paper to you. If you want it, I'll give you a copy of it. Um, but these six statements stuck out. Number one, don't wait until you're older and smarter. The people with the highest wisdom scores are just as likely to be age 30 as they are to be age 60. Because it's not, it's not the number of life experiences that you have. It's the quality of the life experiences that you have. So a person that's 20 and 25 and 30 can be very, very wise. So it is not age related. Seeing the world in shades of gray, not black and white. And that statement was interesting, but I read the underneath part of it. It said, this, this question was posed to all of our candidates, all of our respondents. Should a, uh, when, imagine that you're meeting a 15 year old girl who was planning to get married next week. What do you say to her? And, they said that the, 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 the response that got the lowest score on wisdom was, don't do it, that's dumb. You're not supposed to get married that young. 
There's no reason for you to get married. It's just not going to work. It's failure. It's a crazy idea. That was the, the, the lowest on the wisdom scale. The highest on the wisdom scale was, on the surface, this seems like an easy problem. I mean, on average, marriage for 15-year-old girls is not a good thing. But there are situations where this average case doesn't necessarily fit. Perhaps in this instance, special life circumstances are involved. Like, maybe the girl has a terminal illness. Maybe she just lost her parents. Maybe this girl lives in another culture or historical period. And perhaps she was raised with a value system different from ours. In addition, one has to think about the adequate ways of talking with the girl and to consider her emotional state. Hear the difference in the response? Here's another one, which spoke to me when you were telling me your story about the young lady this morning. That was just powerful for me. Number three, balance self-interest and the common good. Is it better for me? Is it better for my people? And wise people don't do one over the other, but they consider both. Four, challenge the status quo. Just because this is what the rules say doesn't necessarily mean that's the way I have to respond. Now, let me read to you what this was talking about. There was a guy in Philadelphia who was convicted of holding up a taxi driver with a gun. The guidelines for sentencing told the judge that he must sentence him for two to five years in jail. But the facts didn't fit. The man had used a toy gun. It was his very first offense. He had just lost his job and he stole $50 so that he could support his family. So the judge gave him a short sentence and gave him permission to be able to hold a job outside of jail during the day so he could still take care of his family but then spend his nights in jail. And he required him to repay the $50 that he had stolen. Powerful, powerful statement. Number five, aim to understand rather than judge. That one speaks for itself. And then finally, focus on your per- focus on the purpose over the pleasure. And don't worry about whether you feel good about it. Don't worry about it. it's going to benefit you, but focus on what is the purpose. So these, this is from the worldly perspective, okay? Let me just restate these real quickly. Don't wait until you're older and smarter. See the world in shades of gray, not black and white. Balance self-interest in the common good. Challenge the status quo. Aim to understand rather than judge. Focus on purpose over pleasure. The world understands wisdom because they recognize what wisdom is. I understand wisdom, but even this morning as I was, as I was trying to come up with something for the kids, I struggled with the definition, what is the difference between smart and wise? Because we don't think about it. And it's, it's pretty easy to do a litmus test of what's smart. Like, like Corbin said, I can get an A on a paper, but can I do something with that information to better my life, to live better? That's the wise thing. And as Alyssa was saying, it's based on our decisions. It's our choices. How we interpolate all of our information and become better in living because we become wise in the way that we respond to the world. And it's not just a, a humanistic perspective. It is a Christian, godly, religious perspective. And let me share with you what I haven't yet shared with you, which puts the ribbon on all of Solomon's story. If you turn back to Deuteronomy, 
Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 and following. As I read this section, think about what we've talked about Solomon so far today. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 and following. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, it's the Israelites. They're in the Exodus still. Moses is writing this saying, when you get to the promised land. When you come to the land the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set up a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. And you may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart be turned away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive amounts of silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself. Hear this. He shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests and it shall be with him and he shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. They could have put Shlomo's picture on that paragraph. How many hundreds of years before Shlomo lived, did Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write those words to the future king? What was he lacking? The beginning of his career as king, God said, ask me anything and I'll give you anything. And Moses, excuse me, Shlomo asked him for wisdom. God said, you got it. And I'm going to bless you even beyond that. But, just a little addendum at the end. Follow me. Follow my statutes. Do what I tell you to do. Got it? Cool. 20 years later, incredible success, wonderful, glorious, fabulous, glorious, and God appears to him a second time and says, hey, 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 I fulfilled my part. I did what I said I was going to do. Honor me. Do what I tell you to do. Read my word. It's right in Deuteronomy if you just read it. As a king, you're supposed to have your own personal copy that you keep by your bed that you read every single day so that you know it backwards, forwards, inside and out and you can follow the law so that you can make sure that you and your kingdom and your children are taken care of and protected, O wise king. But by the end of his life, he's known for everything is meaningless. Everything is a mess. And ultimately... It was Solomon's fault that Jerusalem fell 
and the Babylonian exile happened. This wise king who forgot the most important part of his life was keeping his heart clean and right before God. So the lesson for us this morning, you live in a time where this book is readily accessible to you. You don't even have the excuse of saying, oh, I forgot it, it's at home, because you have your phone. And you can get it on the phone for free. So at any moment of the day, you have the Word of God available to you, in your own language, portable and easy to take with you. When's the last time you really studied it to find out what God wanted you to do? Some of you do indeed read it every day for guidance. Some of you in this room don't. You know who you are. And I will tell you, the last thing I need to say, Jesus' words, the end of his Sermon on the Mount that went from chapter 5 through chapter 7 of Matthew are, the wise person builds their house upon the rock. The foolish person will suffer great loss. It's a principle of God's word that does not change. It's the same for Shlomo. It's the same for Bob and everyone else in this room and everyone else listening to my sermon through the internet. Let's pray.